Disney and the future of TV. And has Apple poisoned Netflix? I love the drama of that, Tom. Oh, it's very dramatic. This is episode 92 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Tom, Disney and the Future of TV is the name of the article from, uh, Strat- how do you pronounce it? Stratechery? Stratechery? That's a hell of Stratechery? a brand name. No, no one can pronounce it, right? I just realized I have no idea how to pronounce this, but Strat, E-C-H-E-R-Y. Well, I think it's strategy Thomas. and technology combined. So Stratechery. Stratechery. Oh, well, that <laughs> couldn't be more clear. All right. So... Oh, yes, that's right. We're talking about this article. I almost forgot. (laughs) So um, Disney and the Future of Television. This is, I thought, one of the truly most thoughtful articles I've read. I don't know if it's right or not, but I know (laughs) it's certainly certainly thoughtful. It begins by kind of premising the idea. I love it when people say, you know, four years ago I predicted that, dot, dot, dot. I I always love that opening. Oh, shit, I was going to do that on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to pretend, I'll let this part out. Okay. Hint, you know, wink, wink. Leave it in, leave it in. Okay. So, um, so he, 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 he theorizes that there are, he puts five jobs that television fulfills, television in all its shapes and sizes. Job one, stories and entertainment, primary player, Netflix. Job two, brands and family, primary player, of course, Disney. Job three, news and sports. You got Disney, Fox, Turner. Job four, information and education. This is what YouTube's so great at. You can find what you need whenever you need it. Uh, And then the last, kind of the laggard job, which is, (laughs) he even calls niche and left behind. behind. That would be (laughs) HBO, CBS, uh, Showtime, et cetera. Um, I'll bet he he would put uh, Warner Media's uh, uh, over-the-top thing in there when it launches. So um, the point is that he says there are these that the Internet's impact on all this is to kind of clarify who uh, fulfills best each job. It's a really interesting analysis. Um, uh, and it, for starters, he says YouTube and Netflix, the experience and business model is superior to traditional television. Those with, you know, YouTube in one category, Netflix with a different category, because, of course, if you want, you know, some kind of entertainment to flow over you without interruptions, um, you're going to go to Netflix. And if you want to know how to do what you need to do right away, or you want just massive distraction, you're going to go to YouTube. <laughs> um, then he uh, brings in ESPN. And uh, this, I, this comment I thought was um, interesting. Two comments. First, on the Internet, though anyone can reach every, everyone with anything, uh, that dramatically increases competition for consumer attention. And to win that competition means developing a business model that is aligned with the job to be done. And because there are many jobs, there will be many business models. Now, Tom, I know you're going to say, well, of course there should be many business models. <laughs> but do you think it, that – what do you think about this kind of metaphor, this alignment to the job metaphor that he has? The jobs to be done. Yeah. I, who was that? Clayton Christensen, I think, at Harvard. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, what I, what I enjoyed about the article is how clearly he points out why our cable bills are so damn high, right? He, he goes through like a, a really quick analysis and he says, hey, these content companies were gobbled up in consolidations to become big, you know, conglomerates, NBC, Universal, Disney. The giants bundle their channels together. They go to the cable companies and they offer them an affiliate fee 
that they can't refuse. Right. The cable companies don't really care because they have a monopoly and they just pass on the higher fees to us with higher right. cable fees. But then the funny thing is, is that then the same cable companies give us high-speed internet access. Right. And, and that's, that's what's going on, right? And so now you're right. Is this a job to be done that, that when we sit down to TV, we, we think about sports? Okay, we want sports. That's a job to be done. Right. I don't think it is a job to be done. I think it is a form of live entertainment. And that's why I told you that Amazon playing around with picking up some of those NFL games mm -hmm. and streaming them live on their channel mm -hmm. with better visual quality than the cable company. Mm -hmm. you, if they do some big deal and grab it all, now are we going to say that the job to be done isn't a what, a, a, an ad-supported affiliate fee job anymore? Because that's well, what he thinks news is, right? I, I'm, the, what I'm reading from him is, is not so much that this is where news and sports is going to live indefinitely or in the new future, but rather that this is what will be left for linear television. That's how I read it. In other words, all that's left when your favorite shows are on Disney Plus and Hulu and Netflix... All that's left is going to be stuff that is either uh, disposable, i.e. timely, like mm -hmm. live news, live sports, where the live dimension is actually an important dimension to it, um, or stuff that is, that is you know, that's, uni that's both unique and timely, like the Oscars, you know, like, uh, like uh, every live game. That's kind of how I read it, more that the TV is going to move in this direction because that's what's left. Wow, only if, if the big guys don't grab it. This is what I'm trying to tell right, you. There's right. no reason why Amazon can't stream live sports. Um, y yes, the big guys have to grab it. So the question is, will the big guys grab it or will they go to other, you know, easier? I mean, it's easier to have Oprah and Steven Spielberg and, uh, you know, whoever else was on stage, Reese Witherspoon. It's easier mm. to get shows from them. Then, and it's cheaper to get oh, yeah. shows from them than it is to buy a ton of professional sports uh, live games, right? No, I'm with you. But look, but, but this is what's going on with these conglomerates. Look, Hulu, right? Now, this was, I don't know, 2016. So Time Warner, who paid around $600 million for Hulu back then, mm -hmm. they end up selling it. So AT&T ends up getting Hulu in the deal with Time Warner. For a they, fraction of, it's a fraction of Hulu. It's not all of Hulu. Right. The 10%. Yeah. But they sold that 10% mark to Disney for $1.4 billion. <laughs> right? So now that gave, what, Disney a 70% ownership in Hulu. I think Comcast yeah. has the other 30. But look, so Hulu's worth now more than doubled in over two years. But they lose <laughs> $2 billion a year. So I'm not really... It looks like the, the crazy dot-com, you know bubble thing to me a here's little bit. the difference here's the difference tom and he goes into this in the piece he talks about disney plus and more importantly the disney universe and here's the i think the critical sentence that addresses what you're saying the best way to understand disney plus starts with the name this is a service that is not really about television at least not directly but rather about disney itself then he references the famous chart from walt disney that i had never seen 
which is just amazing with theatrical films right. at the center, comic strips, publications, the merchandise, Disney machine, TV. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's the Disney machine, Disneyland. And um, he says, um, uh, while obviously Disney Plus will complete with, compete with Netflix for consumer attention, the goals are very different. For Netflix, it's all about streaming. For Disney Plus, the company, um, it, it, it's the project is the larger project is Disney itself, which means leveraging all the bits and pieces of Disney cross platforms. Then he gets into Hulu, which he calls a hedge, which I thought was so interesting. That's so interesting. Because yeah. in other words, he said the reason why Disney has Hulu and why they spend all that money on Hulu is because it allows them to have their Netflix competitor or probably more accurately a Netflix hedge because as long as Hulu is around, Netflix is not the only alternative for selling streaming rights or original content that happens to exist, you know, for its own sake, not because it's part of something bigger. So in other words, all the Disney stuff can go to Disney Plus, but what about all the other stuff that Disney creates that doesn't, you know, fit under that conceptual Disney the family, uh, banner. The, the kids and family. It could right? be kids like, and family. It might not be, uh, It's, but it's not Pixar and it's not uh, Marvel. Well, like and Simpsons, right? And Deadpool. What do you do? Or, you know, Wes Anderson's stuff. Where are they going to put it? Yeah, it would be a, a, a case like that. And, and Hulu is a, allows, Hulu kind of allows a marketplace to continue to exist, which would not exist if it were just about Netflix, right? right? Everything else would be some big brand family. I thought it was it was really um, super interesting, and no, also the other thing he says, which I couldn't agree with more, which is reflected in our our Netflix bills this past month, is that the focus for Netflix will be having all types of shows for all kinds of people, all being charged a slowly but surely rising monthly rate. <laughs> 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 and then he says, and here's your point. To put it another way, the best way to think about Netflix is not as a channel, but rather as a new cable company, albeit one solely focused on evergreen content. I mean, I thought, well, that's it, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? Disney Plus's fees are going to rise, too, once everybody signs up at six ninety nine. You know, you know that's going to happen. Look, bottom line is, and, and, and William Goldman was absolutely right, not one person in the motion picture field knows for certainty what's going on or what's going to work. Right. Not just movies, but the industry itself. That's right. Boy, I, I'll bet he wishes he had applied that more generally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put it on T-shirts and, and yeah. sold it out there. <laughs> Here's the last point I want to make from this because it segs to our next topic. Uh, he says, uh, the best way to understand Amazon and Apple's original content ambitions isn't that it's to compete with Netflix, but rather to make their storefronts the place consumers go to subscribe to other services, and that is something you predicted, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I'm not going to say that out loud. Because <laughs> you're... <laughs> you're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asecker and Mark Ramsey. That brings us to uh, topic two, which is uh, this piece called, very cleverly, Apple Poisons Netflix, from our <laughs> friend Laura Martin, the, uh, the uh, very high-energy Laura Martin. Uh, you talked to her once, right? Did you get a sense of her high energy? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I had like a four-hour conversation in 12 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Laura, if you're listening, just take a chill pill, okay? We're going to talk about your piece. So um, this is interesting. Now, Laura's an analyst. Uh, so, you know, this is there's all kinds of shorthand in this thing. But she, in one paragraph, she sums up the battle between Apple and Netflix. And this came out right after Apple kind of introduced its um, uh, Apple uh, TV uh, agenda. Uh, so she said, look, Apple, company update, um, 
Marketing costs zero. Consumer awareness, 100%. Uh, content budget, $2 billion. This is the Apple event, right? Everyone mm-hmm. heard all the details. Appearances by all the biggies. J.J., Aniston, Oprah, Spielberg. Uh, priceless, right? Right. Competing against Netflix. Netflix with, uh, and Apple has $50 billion year-over-year free cash. Hmm. $900 million captive users. They can bundle bundle things, games, news, music, TV, with iPhone sales, so the network effects are through the roof. And uh, here she said, assuming they price their new their three new services at $10 a month, then it gets 10% of their unique users to subscribe to each, which I think is high, by the way. Um, that would add 270 million new um, subscriptions and a whole lot of money. So it ends up being an amount of money that's somewhere between two and three times the amount of money Netflix spends on original content so um so her her point is that this may look like you know a few shows here a few shows there by the way you know in that event from apple they didn't actually show any extent there were just like glglimpses of shows there was really very little substance there I, in classic apple you know presentation fashion um so it, it, it and yet if you run the math, you you come up with these enormous numbers because their installed base is so large, their the network effects are so favorable to them, and because they're into so many different categories that Netflix obviously isn't in. Netflix is all about I stream tons of content and you pay me for it. Yeah. That's the beginning and end of Netflix. You know, what yeah. is a Netflix how is a Netflix original movie any different from any other original movie? And the answer <laughs> yeah, exactly. is I don't have a clue, right? No, no. It's Listen, really not. This is the this is what's going to be interesting. So everyone knows that money draws talent and ideas. Right. There's absolutely no shortage of either one when it comes to content creation. The question, because there's a fever pitch of deals being shopped around. Right. But the question isn't whether Apple can make deals. Can they tolerate the culture of producing Hollywood, you know, quality TV series and movies, because guess what? That process is not like making a new computer. (laughs) If they try to understand that process through their lens of bringing products to market, their heads are going to blow up. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk to people about, okay, so how does a movie get made? Can you like flow chart it for me? Mm -hmm. I mean, they'll, they'll just look at you and roll your eyes because Mm -hmm. it's so much wheeling and dealing can I get this actor? What is it going to take me to get this music? How am I going to get this director? You know, how are we going to get a streamer? You know, what, it's crazy. What about international mm-hmm. rights? What about IP? You know, it, mm-hmm. it's just not something I think they're used to. And, mm-hmm. I, and I still don't think they even understand. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you know what they're doing. What is the Apple brand of entertainment? Are they going to try to be family friendly like Disney? Well, they tried that, right? There, there was some, I don't have that uh, tip of my tongue, but I remember there was some controversy over the nature of the content that was going to be wrapped up in this, and they had some issues about that, and there was some friction about that. Exactly. So they've already actually experienced some problems there. That That's right. It's cultural friction. And that, see, there's no cultural friction with Netflix. They don't, they don't have it. They just look for good ideas that they think people want to watch, and they produce them. They also, don't run I it think, through a lens. It's interesting, too, that, uh, you know, if you look at the big names that were present on the stage uh, for the Apple event, Spielberg, Oprah, Aniston, J.J., I mean, those are the safest names in entertainment. Right. Right? 
Only uh, you could add Ellen, and then you'd have one more safest exactly. name in entertainment. <laughs> there, there, there's like the, you expect that. I mean, Stranger Things didn't happen because of that. No, that's what I'm telling you. Exactly right. And listen, help me with this because this didn't make sense to me. And maybe I'm missing something, but we've talked about this before. When she writes that Apple has zero consumer acquisition costs, right? Since, yep, since, yep. Because they're going to target the, the, their, what, 900 million global users. Right, right, okay. Right. Okay, that makes sense for news, games, and whatever content's on that phone. But they still have to get people to switch to Apple TV, don't they? From Chrome or Roku or Fire TV? How um, am I going to be exposed to what's on Apple TV if I don't have Apple TV? Isn't there going to be a battle for the access point of these eyeballs like we talked about? I think, I, I, now I'm speaking out of turn, but I think that's not right. I think that Apple TV will be available, that you'll be able to see the content Gosh, I thought you were going to be able to see the content on other platforms. Uh, now look, I'm not Mark, certain. you know, you know the 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 war that Amazon and Google have been fighting for the last X amount of years. Mm-hmm. They just now agreed that they will allow each other's video services to be on their devices. So now on the Chrome stick, you'll be able to see the Fire TV. You'll have that app right there, the Amazon Video app, and on Amazon Video, you'll have the YouTube app. But prior to this deal, they were blocking each other. Well, here's the answer. I just looked it up, and I'm right. Apple TV app (laughs) will be on Roku, Fire TV, uh, and uh, let's see. uh, Let's let's see. Um, Where's the answer? Chrome. Um, Chromecast. uh, 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 Apple TV coming update in May, uh, coming to smart TVs, plus Roku, et cetera. So yeah, it'll be available on on various other platforms. Now, accessing it why doesn't would they, mean why would they let that them doesn't do mean that? <laughs> that doesn't mean you subscribe to it though, right? That just means the opportunities for subscription exists, right? But why is that any another different? little box on the other hundred boxes that are on your TV? No, right? you're right. You're you're There's absolutely another app right. There. <laughs> but it's but now again, it's it's uh, still um, what's the cost of that customer acquisition? You know, virtually nothing. Right. Maybe a piece of the action to Roku, but who cares? I mean, it's it's still virtually nothing. Um, and then they have the brands of, you know, the Spielberg brand and the, the Oprah brand and all this other stuff. Yep. Now, yep. in terms of what actual content these guys make, I mean, history has shown that people will avoid television shows produced by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And people will avoid channels created by Oprah. So it, these things are not slam dunks. And as for Jennifer Aniston, well, you know, I mean, has she been on television since uh, Friends? I don't think so. <laughs> exactly. Certainly she hasn't been in theaters that much. So I, I'm not sure that all of this adds up to the slam dunk they imagine. What it adds up to is a really deeply impressive show. And if you run the math as hypotheticals, you can discover that, and you know this, Tom, that if you apply a 10% uptake percentage to any number, the bigger the number, the bigger the bigger oh, exactly. dollars. No, right? that's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, it's 10% a lot, 10% a little. I don't know. The reality is that people are now paying for Netflix. People are paying for Amazon Prime, and people are paying for Amazon Prime not because they're getting their shows, but because they're getting their toilet paper, you know, exactly. and they're getting their books. So, I mean... What are people going to... This is not money that Apple is already charging me. This is incremental money. Right. Which you're um, going to now, now throw out some money for Disney Plus, 
Now you're going to toss some money into Hulu so you can get all of the you know 20, 20th Century Fox stuff that Disney's going to probably That's stick right. on Hulu. Listen, I, I, I just, I just uh, uh, to get Twilight Zone, I'm spending, I think, 6 or $7 a month on uh, CBS All Access, which I don't like. Go. I don't like that term, All Access. I much prefer Plus. <laughs> um, but, by the way, you know what six ninety nine gets you? Limited commercials. And you know what limited commercials works out to be? No. I would say about uh, eight minutes, nine minutes of commercials an hour. Maybe ten minutes of commercials an really? hour. Really? Yes. That's wow. limited commercials. To pay $10 a month for shows that are on CBS for the most part, um, then you get a commercial free. But these numbers do add up. And no, I, they I, do. They do. Ultimately, I think what we're doing is we're kind of custom making our own, our own uh, cable uh, pack, uh, uh, bundles, right? You look, we're I don't all... think that people would have a problem with that, assuming they could do that, create that bundle, and then cut the cable bill, the 200 and some odd dollars a month. But people are afraid to do that. They're afraid of losing their live sports, their local news, things like right. that. Otherwise, they would just cut it and say, okay, I got, I got 250 bucks. Let me go start buying all these channels. But they're yeah. not. you notice that nobody's doing that. Otherwise, there would be a service that would be calling your house saying, look, we can cut your cable bill from 250 to nothing. You pay mm -hmm. us 12 bucks, we'll show you how to do it. And then just get all of these cable subscribers. Oh, now, see, you're, you're taking this from the consumer standpoint. That's your problem. You're taking <laughs> it from the consumer standpoint. None of these things are operating with the consumers in mind, as you know. I mean, because otherwise, yeah, if you were to view this as a, as a customer uh, problem, you would say, well, what's the problem? The problem is that I have 10 shows I like. I only want those 10 shows. Give me those 10 shows. And no right. one's going to offer that to you in large part because, as you also know, it's not possible to produce your 10 shows and my 10 shows unless we're both forced to pay a premium for them rather than you paying for the ones you like and me paying for the ones I like. I'm not going to pay a premium for the ones I like that, that, is, that, is, uh, no, that is sufficient to I finance the that's shows, what, right? But that's what, Netflix, that's what Netflix's model is, what they're trying to be, right? You watch your 10 things, I watch my 10 things. We both spend $13 a month. Um, that is that no, um, uh, no, you've got to find your 10 things on Netflix <laughs> and, and, and seven of your 10 things are not there. That's, yeah, okay. that's what, where that falls up. That's why it's right. only $13 instead of $313. Yeah, right? no, touche. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's time for rants and raves, Tom. What do you have this week? Well, I've actually have a rave about a piece from our friend, Bob Lefsitz, who we haven't talked about in a while, mm -hmm. he posted something called nichification. Have you seen that? No. Okay, it's very good. You should read it. It's short. It's really spot on. So here's what he writes. He said, first, everyone was going to have a website. Then they were going to have a blog. Then a page on Facebook. And now pictures on Instagram. What do all of these endeavors have in common? They're passing fads because it was too much work and too few people were paying attention. <laughs> Uh, now, I, I read this thing, and, and it, all of a sudden, it, it, it came to me that I posted something on Twitter a few days before that. Here's what I posted. I put, Twitter is turning out to be simply another broadcast medium with attention-seeking bots, AI and human. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of pairing way back to follow and reciprocate with people who are interested in engaging. Mm -hmm. Now, after I read Bob's piece, then I see a post 
by Tom Peters that mm-hmm. he tweeted out on Twitter. And it was after he read about Jack Dorsey's TED conversation about how Twitter needs to change. Mm-hmm. I got a kick out of this. Here's what Tom Peters wrote. Quote, if Twitter shifts to following topics rather than following people, it will save me a lot of time because I will no longer be using Twitter. Unquote. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Lefsitz is right. <laughs> Lefsitz is right when he wrote that the the internet allows us to reach everybody, but everybody is not listening. He said mm-hmm. we had the Vine people, now the social media influencers. They're a fad because the truth is most people don't care about them. And then he said, you want to prove it to yourself? Wipe out your Twitter account and start over. Good luck getting the same number of followers. <laughs> and listen, it was beautiful. So he, so he basically says that you know this whole viral thing is just about dead. He said, no one has time for it. There's going to be a switch to real life as opposed to internet life. Of course, friends will utilize the internet and the smartphone to ease their existence, but they'll mostly use these tools to gain information and communicate with their friends. And here's the closing. We're overloaded. We're fatigued with what's going on. We don't want to hear about new, new, new. We just want to have relationships with a few enterprises and call it a day, unquote. So here's my prediction. Mm-hmm. I, it, this is going to happen. And, and if you're a big brand or you're a content marketer, this is not something to take lightly. Mm-hmm. Once people start escaping the noise of the Internet by retreating into private groups, and I believe this is going to happen, it's going to be really difficult to reach them with your messages. Mm. So in essence, we're going to be going back to the old days where people actually made something unique and exceptional, something great enough to spread from discerning friend to discerning friend. That's where we're going to go back to. Mm. So, you know, we, we, it, it, we, we went one direction. It's going to spin right back around. Something artisanal, you're almost saying. Uh, almost artisanal. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't used um, that or Madame Tussauds. I know. In a while. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Madame, Madame Tussauds, I think, was last time. So, um, <laughs> what's interesting, too, about that is that, uh, you know, it, it's almost what almost, you know, sometimes I feel like the picture you just painted is what these post apocalyptic TV shows and movies are really trying to communicate to us that there's going to be this post apocalyptic. Uh, digital future, inevitably. I mean, this stuff can help. I mean, every time I say, okay, well, I can use now Apple Pay. I don't need my credit card. I could just use my phone for Apple Pay. I use my phone for this. I use my phone for that. I said, wait a minute. What happens if this goes out? (laughs) Exactly. You know, we're all going to be, you know, rating. No, I'm stuck uh, on the side of the road, not even knowing where the hell I'm going. There you go. Uh, That's right. Because (laughs) your navigation is out. And we're all, exactly. rating, we're all rating CVSs to find some pharmaceuticals uh, to treat infections while they last. Um, That's so right. Try I, pulling I, into a convenience store and get a map. See what they say to you. <laughs> What's a map? Don't you have that on your phone? So right. I think I think that's what what's also I think so interesting about that is it does dovetail into one the topics we were discussing previously, yep. because when you when you think about Disney. And you consider, besides the you know the, the the nameplate brands they have, Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, etc., um, Disney itself. What does Disney have that nobody else has? And it's called Disneyland, Disney right. World, 
That's what they have that nobody else has. And those things are real places that live in the real world. And what's the biggest attraction soon to open at Disneyland in L.A. at the end of May? It is the Star Wars experience. It is the ability to interact with Star Wars characters in the real world and enter the world you've seen about, you've read about, you've fantasized about, you've wondered about the real world with real people, by the way. That's right. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I, well, yeah, real characters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the friends you bring with you, not oh, the ones you meet there. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so um, uh, my, I'm not sure what this is. It's kind of, I don't know if it's a rant array of an observation or just some puzzlement, but I saw a piece today. You remember last year, and this is going to affect you greatly, I know, because you're a New Englander, but... I am, my understanding is that Dunkin' Donuts is is part of the tapestry of New England. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yep. So uh, this article is Dunkin' CMO explains the chain's controversial decision to slash donuts from its name but not from its, its menu. And I, 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 I went looking. First of all, hearing this guy explain this is it's just not <laughs> – I mean, it's – I don't know. It just struck me as sour when I listened to his explanation. He said, I wasn't worried about the outcry. We'd done the research. It was a handful of people who felt it was like too much change too fast. Um, uh, what else did he say? He, it kind of really disparaged the, the, the people who felt this was a mistake, you know, who, who by and large, I would imagine, are fans of the brand, <laughs> are fans of the brand right? Yeah. Um, so uh, he said... Um, uh, they tried to do logo mock-ups uh, that didn't feel right. They tried considering a thinner angle because, you know, m- uh, tweaking, screwing with your logo is like the classic way to fix any brand, right? Oh, uh, that drives big sales. Yes, it always <laughs> drives sales. So did you, it's recognizable, round, and puffy pink, et cetera. And then he said, this is an ownable font. And I thought, ownable font? What an interesting expression that is. So... So this is so they kept, you know, recognizable Duncan. You can't get rid of that. So this is what he said. He said that keeping the, the, the logo is recognizable Duncan. You can't get rid of that. Donuts, though, you can get rid of. <laughs> Somehow that's not equally recognizable in association with Duncan. I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't know. So he said ditching the donuts was a natural choice. I thought. What an, again, what an odd expression, a natural choice. As the chain's motto had been, quote, America runs on Duncan for more than a decade. And I thought, so in other words, ditching the word in your name is natural because your slogan for 10 years has excluded it. <laughs> I thought, is that, does that make it natural? And then he said, Duncan's is first and foremost a coffee chain as opposed to a bakery. Tom, I haven't been in Dunkin' Donuts for a while. But you tell me, I had no idea Dunkin' Donuts was first and foremost a coffee chain. When no, did that happen? Big. Oh, it's big coffee. It's, the coffee is big out here. Well, the coffee it's has like, always been big at Dunkin' Donuts, but, the, but it hasn't. <laughs> it's never I, been I coffee just first. What, look, it's one thing when you go from Apple computer to Apple. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense because Apple doesn't mean anything. But what right. the hell are you Dunkin' if you're not Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what I thought. <clears throat> so come to find out, 
He says, and then he goes on to explain further. If you look at our country at large, the political anxiety we have is really just anxiety, he said. Many people will say the president was elected on the backs of income inequality and anxiety. When people feel that way, they lash out and get very uncomfortable in a much less severe way. And I thought, what does this have to do with donuts? No, this um, has to do with the name change. That's what they, the name that's change. What people, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. any sort of company transforming itself to recognize the current consumer needs, uh, in, cons- current consumer needs creates anxiety. And then he complains that New England has a longer history of that, uh, of the we like it the way it is thing than most places. Which again, uh, I thought was kind of disparaging like, to people in no, New England. No, that's not true. Listen, the bottom line is why mess around with nostalgia if people love nostalgia. <laughs> You know what I mean? Give them nostalgia. I mean, for goodness sakes. They should have just called it, changed it to Dunkin' No Nuts or something. <laughs> <laughs> I would have definitely got a lot of media. <laughs> That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. You can also email us at mramsey at markramseymedia.com and tomasacker at gmail.com. Catch up on older episodes at our website, mediaunplugged.net. Special thanks to the amazing producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For the one and only Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening. <laughs>